0: What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 369, powered by RageWorks, broadcasting live Wednesday, September 28th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number for tonight's show is 347-324-3541. Again, that call in number 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show that covers mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we jump into MMA and wrestling with an airtime of eleven thirty PM Eastern Standard Time, eight thirty PM Pacific. Thursday nights we switch gears, jump into some gaming, entertainment, sometimes a little tech. Same start time, eleven thirty PM Eastern, eight thirty PM Pacific. You can watch tonight's show by heading over to mtrlive.com, and you will be able to see a video feed, participate in our chat, and also have an audio-only feed powered by Mixler. You can get the Mixler app for iOS and Android devices, punch in My Take Radio or Black is the New Black, one of our other shows, and you can listen to a live broadcast right on your mobile device. You can also call into the call-in number, not hit option one to enter the caller queue, And you'll be able to listen to the show that way as well. Video is also simulcast through a couple of different providers, Vaughn Live, StreamUp, Restream.io, Daily Motion, YouTube Live, a couple of different places. And, of course, archived versions of this show as well as as our previous shows are available for audio on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And for video, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash officialrageworks. As I said before, if you want to participate, 347-324-3541, hit option one, and you will enter the screening room. Uh, Slick will take some information, and you will be able to participate in tonight's show. All right, a couple of things we want to get into, a couple of housekeeping matters we need to address before jumping into tonight's show. Uh, This month, well, for the remainder of September, which is essentially this week, our broadcast schedule will have no changes in October, though, there may be a couple of changes as we will be covering the Photo Plus Expo and we got a couple of different events going on. But as always, keep it locked to RageWorks.net for announcements. But there will be a couple of weeks where they might be either uh, one MMA and wrestling show or one gaming and entertainment show and not both. But again, it's something that we are uh, finalizing and we will make announcements on the site if there are any immediate changes. Now, I did want to address one thing, and that's something that a lot of people have been talking about uh, over the last couple of days, reaching out to me through different forms of social media, and that is streaming to Facebook. I know that we've been mentioning that we've been testing uh, some live streaming to Facebook directly, and I wanted to give you guys some updates, um, but the thing is, the updates aren't exactly applicable for the show and what i mean is that when it comes to streaming let's say video games i can stream them to facebook live with minimal issue now when it comes to everything else unfortunately there is a lot of other moving parts that are making it difficult i mean right now we're running twitch vaughn live and daily motion and slick is telling me that there's some sync issues between audio and video which hopefully is just on the streaming side and is not something that is on our end i know that you know we had pretty much resolved that before with an audio delay but you know things happen so hopefully it's just something that's a result of the service and not something on our end but uh, appreciate the heads up slick we will try and uh, you know keep it going and see what the deal is with that now like i said facebook live streaming i know some people really want us to do it i know a couple of People that I know in in the business are doing it. Uh, Dave Foster and Luria Petrucci, which do um, Geeks Live on Facebook. They're doing a really good job with it. And I think that in that regards, they, they have a different setup than I do. They're using Wirecast, which I was using originally when we were working with GFQ, but I stopped using it just because it proved to be a little too cumbersome. And the learning curve, even though... I felt pretty comfortable with it. There was still a couple of things I wasn't 100% on board with. So that was one of the reasons why I moved away from Wirecast, which is actually one of the providers that actually streams to Facebook. The other one is OBS and OBS Studio, which also are capable of doing it. But in doing that, we're not able to stream to multiple sources at once. So again, we resolve it on one side, but it gets fucked up on the other. I know... A lot of you guys would like to see streaming directly to Facebook Live. I know our very own Jay Santee and Josie's Boy from Call Me When It's Over stream directly to Facebook Live, either as a pre-show or sometimes even as a part of their live show. And I think it's a, it's a great platform to do that. I just want to make sure that from a technological standpoint, everything is running on all cylinders. And you guys know that when one thing is running well, another thing breaks. So that's just, that's just the nature of, of doing live shows. But I did want to update you guys on that because I know some of you guys were asking for it and making uh, some requests and trying to help out and send me information that could be of assistance. But again, it's just um, a challenge that we're working through and rest assured when it's up and running, you guys will definitely know Uh, with regards to, our audio being available on Spotify, Google Play and um iHeartRadio still in progress uh with regards to that no no real changes from when we submitted all our paperwork outside of and this is something that hopefully we should have an update for by next week's show the uh the Google Play front is definitely picking up quite a bit i think that having the shows from the Rageworks Network on Google Play is going to be a lot easier than I had thought, especially because a lot of it is pulling from some of the same stuff that we use to send shows to iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio currently. But again, it's it's something that's definitely moving further along than say Spotify or iHeartRadio. But still, you know, obviously we are not at the finish line yet. But rest assured, Once we get that distribution finalized, we'll be able to reach a lot more people, and that's not just for MTR, but it's also obviously for the rest of our shows that are released in podcast format, including Black is the New Black, which has a new episode for you guys, brand new episode of TRSS, and also a new episode of Call Me When It's Over this week, so keep it locked to Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or iTunes for those shows, as well as RageWorks.net as well. All right. So we got a couple of things to get into this week on the MMA front. The uh, the Conor McGregor circus uh, came into New York this week. As many of you know, you know, the big announcement, which we published on Rageworks.net was that Eddie Alvarez was putting up his lightweight title against Conor McGregor. Lots to discuss on that on, on that front. It was a complete, a complete mayhem, as you would expect. Uh, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event, which saw Cyborg – Uh, in the main event, and also I want to get into some of the controversy surrounding Roy Nelson. Also, we got some fight news for the week and a couple of other newsworthy items I want to get into. On the wrestling side, Clash of Champions, which was, you know, depending on who you ask, it was enjoyable or it was tolerable. So we're going to dig into that. We're also going to obviously talk about Raw and SmackDown, and of course, the big elephant in the room the potential, potential, potential purchase of TNA and some of the people that are coming out of the woodwork. Obviously, there's more to it than just Billy Corgan and and Sinclair Broadcasting, as I mentioned last week. Uh, There's also the possibility of WWE being in the picture. And I got to tell you, the chatter for WWE possibly acquiring TNA has definitely reached a fever pitch with a lot of people saying that it looks like that may be the direction it's going. Again, we're going to get into that. As always, your calls are always welcome. Three, four, seven, three, two, four, three, five, four, one. Again, three, four, seven, three, two, four, three, five, four, one. I would like to let those of you that are watching the show or listening through Twitch or any of the other providers, if you can go to mtrlive.com to participate in the chat and we'll be able to obviously read your comments on air and interact with you guys that way, unfortunately. There is a way to view chat rooms from all the other providers, but it's definitely a work in progress based on the software that we are using, but got to put that out there as well. All right, so let's jump into some MMA. There's quite a bit of craziness this week. (laughs) Right. So I want to talk about this past weekend's UFC Fight Night, which was UFC Fight Night 95, Saw Chris Cyborg in the main event. Um, it was a card that came together a little bit under the radar in my opinion. Uh, obviously going into Brazil, it's always a, a very large spectacle, but I just felt that the card itself and again, this is this is my take on it, it's just the fact that there was such a big there's such a big spread of UFC events that for me personally, it looks like they they're they're kind of stretching themselves too thin, and people that you would think would be headliners in certain cards aren't because they would fought you know a couple of weeks back and they're on medical you know on medical suspension et cetera et cetera. And this UFC fight night ninety five, it was on free TV. Uh, you know, for the most part, it was there were a lot of good fights. I mean, the Eric Silva fight I really enjoyed, beautiful rear naked choke finish for him in his performance and I thought that was it was a just a great fight between between him and Luan Chagas. But the thing that got me was that like I said, this was a fight that you would have liked to have seen on on a bigger stage. Not that Fight Night isn't a bigger stage, but I just I don't know, I expected something else. But definitely a solid fight, that's for sure. Now, the other fight I did want to get into was the fight that everyone's been talking about, and that is And you know, I, it's big country, Nelson, Roy Nelson was facing Antonio Bigfoot Silva. And first thing I got to say is I'm not a fan of Antonio Bigfoot Silva. I've never been a fan of his. I genuinely dislike him, not just because he looks like a statue from Easter Island come to life, but because this is a guy that had one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time with Mark Hunt and after he has this fight and Dana White is extolling all the virtues of one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time, turns out that he was on fucking roids, got suspended. Everything just fell apart. And it just, it just really soured my opinion on him as a fighter. And plus I've just never really been a fan of the way that he fights. He does, you know, most times I, I watch his fights and I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm just hoping he gets his ass whooped because again, I'm just not a fan. I I do enjoy uh, Roy Nelson's performances in the octagon. A lot of people give Roy Nelson a lot of shit, obviously, because he is not your stereotypical chiseled out of granite statue type of a guy. But, you know, martial artists come in all shapes and sizes, and Roy Nelson is about as complete as it gets. Um, Besides being an amazing Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner on the ground, he has a granite chin, stellar stand-up and is probably one of the most dangerous guys in the heavyweight division. Like I said, the guy has a chin made of granite. Very few guys have been able to put Roy Nelson out, and the guys that have are some of the best guys in the game. So he went in there facing Antonio Bigfoot Silva, and the first round, Roy Nelson looked really good. um, A lot of really good stand-up from Nelson. Nelson uh, continued that in round two, tagging uh, Bigfoot Silva a couple of times. They ended up getting into some really close quarter combat, in which in which case uh, Big Country dropped Bigfoot Silva with an amazing uppercut. Looked like something out of Punch Out. Um, Bigfoot Silva hits the ground, and you know he's trying to recover, and Roy Nelson is all over him, just whooping his ass. And um, you know Roy Nelson actually tried to get up to let Big John McCarthy stop the fight because he really was. I mean, Bigfoot Silva was definitely out on his feet and, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to add any long-term damage to a guy who he is friends with. And I respect that. So the big controversy came because I guess he was annoyed that Big John obviously didn't come in quick enough. So he ended up doing a push kick to Big John McCarthy. Now, as many of you know, Dana White has a very, 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 very strict policy about people putting their hands on officials. Um, happened not that long ago with another fighter whose name escapes me at the moment that pushed the referee, and obviously he got cut loose because of that. Now, again, this is one of those things you're in the heat of the moment. I understand Roy Nelson. I'm going to get into what he said about it, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where until the ref stops the fight, you're... Pretty much, you got to beat the guy to death. And the thing about stoppage is, you got refs that are really good, but things happen. Maybe you think that the guy is defending himself. Maybe you want to give the guy a little bit more time. Every referee is going to referee a fight differently. And we all have referees that we like versus guys that we don't. I mean, I've always been a fan of, you know, Big John McCarthy. I also like Herb Dean. And, um, Mario Yamazaki, he has his times when I, you know, when I'm not a fan of his work, but for the most part, he's pretty good. I think Eve Levine and Steve Mazzagotti are probably the two that I'm kind of not as much of a fan of because they've had some questionable moments. Um, the, the female referee who I haven't seen ref, uh, a UFC fight in quite some time. She was really good in strike force, really on top of her game, especially when it came to the stoppages. But, um... I understand where big where big country came from. Overall, I think that it was a great performance for Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson definitely puts himself out there, and um, he's saying that you know he would love a, a rematch with Stipe with a full camp, and I think that would be a really good fight to see. Do I think Roy Nelson has the tools to be a UFC heavyweight champion? I do, but I also have to look at it from the perspective that there's a very, very deep talent pool in the UFC heavyweight division. We got guys like Andre Arlovsky, Stipe, Alistair Overeem. Whether you love him or hate him, uh, Kane, um, you know Junior Dos Santos, uh, Fabricio Verdum. There's 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 a murderer's row of guys in that division that are super 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 dangerous. And I think that Roy Nelson can definitely hold his own. But I also feel that when he gets into that upper echelon, you know JDS, Kane, Stipe. Arlovsky Overeem that there's, there's, there's definitely tougher fights there, but they're also fights that me as a fan, I would definitely love to see, especially, uh, you know, something like Roy Nelson and maybe Andre Arlovsky. I'd like to see that sort of a fight, or maybe even Roy Nelson, Junior dos Santos would be another great fight, possibly, uh, with the with a potential title shot on the horizon, I think that that's a that's a great fight. We are we're already getting Kane and Verdoom once again, but I always feel that JDS and you know, hell, even Alistair Overeem, whether you know you loved or hated his performance, is still a guy that's always talked about in title contention. I think um, you know, for a guy like Roy Nelson, you need to give him a top five opponent, maybe like I said, as a as a title eliminator to put him in contention. But um, like I said, big fan of Roy Nelson. I was happy with his performance, but I definitely think that the push kick on uh, big John McCarthy is going to bite him in the ass. I mean, Dana White's already been extremely vocal about it. And, you know, a lot of us were thinking that it might lead to Roy Nelson getting fucking fired. Um, you know, thus far, no punishment has been addressed, but I definitely think that there is going to be something on the horizon for big country. Now, the other fight I wanted to talk about, uh, Christiane Cyborg, Justino, took on Lena Landsberg. Uh, this was a catch weight bout at one, uh, contested at 140 pounds. As many of you know, Chris Cyborg, uh, had, has had a tremendous amount of difficulty reaching 140, but she has been doing it thus far. Uh, Lena Landsberg comes in, um, an accomplished kickboxer, uh, dangerous in the stand up. And the thing was that, when you look at this fight on paper, you said to you say to yourself, you know, Van, um, <laughs> Vanderlei in a dress, Val says, you know, you look at Chris Cyborg and you look at Lena Landsberg, you know that both ladies were going to go in there and start trading immediately, and that's what happened. What I did not expect was the amount of power that Cyborg brought to the table. I mean, Lena Landsberg definitely held her own. Hell, she got out of the first round. But the thing that got me was the um, the sheer power that Cyborg brought to the table when, you know, when they were uh, a couple of exchanges where they where they ended up being pushed against the, the cage. It was Cyborg being the aggressor, you know, 80, 80 percent of the time. I mean, Landsberg definitely landed her fair share of shots and um, but she definitely had just a more aggressive You know, she just had more aggression in her execution and her technique. I mean, when they exchanged, they, um, when they were exchanging in the, in the clinch, you know, Cyborg was just railing crazy knees into Lena Landsberg. And then, of course, the strike started to connect. Uh, Landsberg started bleeding and it just, it just got crazy. Uh, second round was where it got, where it got wild. Um, you know, it went to the ground and Lena Landsberg just got, just got, demolished on the ground you know big punches from cyborg uh huge laser beam focus punches right to the side of the head and you know Landsberg. at that point you know they just had to they just had to save her because she wasn't doing much else just um ended up a tko victory for chris cyborg it really was in my eyes a complete mauling and it again no disrespect to lena Landsberg, but Like I've said, Chris Cyborg is in a completely different category when it comes to her level of competition. And I say this because, you know, we joke about, you know, her being Vanderlei in a dress, her mannish appearance. Um, You got to look at it like this. She cut to make 140. It's been said she cut between 25 and 30 pounds to make the. The 140 pound limit. Val says that she walked in at 170 after making the cut after rehydrating. This is a woman who is super, super, super dangerous. And even though you know Dana White and Ronda want to do this fight, this isn't a fight that Ronda Rousey can just come in and try and use her Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, or or her judo and and try and get her out of there quickly. Ronda Rousey, if she intends to go and fight Chris Cyborg, which everybody's saying is inevitable at this point, um, you know she's Ronda's even gone on record saying that she's willing to take the fight at 140. I have to say that when it comes to the stand-up game alone, Ronda Rousey risks, uh, you know, just being demolished by Chris Cyborg if it was a stand-up battle. And it's not just because of the fact that Cyborg's technique is so much better, but just because of the fact that she comes in hydrated at one seventy and is literally muscling her opponents all over the cage. And Ronda, you know, Rhonda comes in one thirty five. She's dialed in. You know, she's a, she's a solid one thirty five pound, one hundred thirty five pounder. But I just think when it comes to raw power and strength, Cyborg is just leaps and bounds ahead of some of the other women in the division. And again, this isn't something where I'm saying that Cyborg cannot lose. I don't I don't think that at all, but I also feel that when it comes to in terms of blunt force trauma and, you know, the delivery of really pinpoint accurate and powerful strikes, Cyborg is in a completely different class. Uh, you know, you could put you can talk about a man, the you can talk about um you know, you can talk about any of these current fighters who have good stand-up. And I say the same thing I'm, I've said before. Cyborg is in another category. This is a woman that trained in the, in the famed box Academy where, you know, guys like Vanderlei Silva, legit killers, train. This is a woman that has to go and, you know, do her sparring with men just because, you know, she has that type of power. And it's scary. And again, you know, there's always the 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 the, the visual and physical appearance that's always going to lead to some different levels of conversation. But I'm talking about from a skills perspective. When it comes to skills on the stand up, Chris Cyborg cannot be matched. And, and, I, and I'm not talking about K1 and kickboxing and I'm talking about MMA stand and bang not happening. If if you stand in the pocket and trade with Cyborg and your chin is is questionable, you're you're hitting the canvas. You're going to sleep. I like Ronda. I'm a big fan of hers. I like Amanda Nunes. You know, I like Cadzengano. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of these a lot a lot of these female fighters. But I know that when you're when you're in there with somebody like Cyborg, who's in another again in another league you're not, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get destroyed. And, and again, that's not saying that she cannot lose, but from a standup perspective, there's, there's very few people that I've seen thus far that could match her in the standup. Everybody thought that it was going to be her and Gina Carano, you know, back in the day and Gina Carano, just Gina Carano got outclassed. And we're talking about a, a young lady Regardless of, you know, how she looked and her eye candy, you know, her sex appeal. I'm talking about the fact that this is a girl that went trained in Thailand, learned from some of the best, was no slouch when it came to the to the grind, when it came to, to fighting stand up, and she just you guys know, right after that fight was done, Gina Carano went and started doing movies and that was it. Do I think that cyborg was a factor? Maybe. Do I think that the pressures of being the face of women's MMA got to her? Maybe. But at the end of the day, the visual that will stick in everyone's mind is a beautiful woman walked in and a beat up woman walked out. Period. Val says she's lucky she fights chicks that are legit 25 pounds lighter than her. Um, Val then adds Cyborg was on roids when she fought Gina, though. Yeah, but you know what it is, Val? Even at the time of testing. Yes, you know, Cyborg was caught. But we're seeing Cyborg now fighting in a completely clean environment. You know, and what I'm saying is, you know, she's doing the USADA testing. She's being tested pre-fight. She's being tested post-fight, out of competition. There's a deeper testing pool right now. And because of that, I feel that this is Cyborg without steroids. And I say this in quotes, without steroids. And she's going out there putting the beatings on these chicks that she was putting on them when she was on steroids. It, you know, a lot of arguments and questions can be raised, but... You know, it's still, it, you know, to, to the point of what you just said, the bigger factor is the weight class. And that's exactly it. You know, being 25 pounds heavier and, you know, 25 to 30 pounds heavier to cut to 140 and fighting a girl who, you know, is one four, dieted down to 140 from, say, 150. You know, even if the girl rehydrates and she rehydrates to 150, 155 and cyborgs rehydrating to 170, 170, you know, 175 to Val's point, again, 25 pound difference, 25 pounds, you know, even 10 pounds makes a hell of a lot of difference when you rehydrate. I'm, you know, I'm being completely honest. It's, it's the old thing of, you know, you go to a gym, you train, you gain five pounds of muscle five, you know, depending on how tall you are, that five pounds, you know, how tall you are, how you carry your weight, that five pounds may look different, on you than on the person who may be the same height as you. Maybe that five pounds is going to be in your neck. Maybe you're going to see it more in your face. It, it varies, you know, I and this is just the way it is. In Cyborg's case, when she came in and she was doing the cut, which you guys can see her videos of, of that weight cut on YouTube, you'll see that it was it was a physically exhausting, exhausting, exhausting experience for her. To make that 140, but she knows that she has to make the 140. Like that's the thing. It's you know, and and Dana White's gone on record for the moment saying that he's not going to add any other any heavier weight classes to the division, etc., etc., etc. And I understand that, but I also think that in terms of health, you know, health and longevity for a woman like Cyborg to cut 30 pounds, you know, in a week which is the scary thing, you're cutting 30, 25 to 30 pounds in a week, regardless of whether you know you think she looks like a dude or whatever the case may be, it is not healthy. It's not healthy. Man or woman, to cut that amount of weight in that short period of time, It it, it wrecks havoc on every part of your body. And the thing is, and people don't want to talk about this, for women, it is incredibly more... It is more stressful to the body. Weight cutting for women for fights is a lot more dangerous for them long term than for us. I mean, for men, there's definitely a lot of factors at play that can impact uh, long term, whether, you know, it's kidney function, um, you know, adrenal adrenal gland uh, issues. There's there's a lot of things that can come up that can definitely impact a uh, You know, a male's performance in terms of, of, you know, post weight cut, especially long term. I mean, look at a, a great example, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Anthony Rumble Johnson, as many of you know, fought at one point at 170 pounds, and he reached a point where medically his doctor said you can't do it like your body cannot even get down to that weight safely. It is impossible. And again, there's a lot of things that you can take into consideration, obviously, you know, being less muscular, et cetera, et cetera. There there's 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 things there's other factors at play. But in terms of just cutting weight to for to make that weight limit and it's you're doing it every, you know, 12 to 24 weeks, it's it's going to wreck hell on your body. Like I said, in Anthony Johnson's case, it, it got to the point where doctors were like, dude, you can't you can't do it. You cannot do it. And then obviously he fought at one eighty five. And when he fought at one eighty five, you know, he was like, you know, it was a little better. And even at one eighty five he had his challenges. And then obviously he's fought now at two oh five. And he's fought in in heavy at, at heavyweight also. And the fact is that these are these are things you have to you have to take into consideration as an athlete. And too many people they look at it and they don't realize what goes into uh, you know the the things that go into them being quote unquote entertained, and I say this as a fan, but I also say it as somebody who you know I did powerlifting in high school. I knew the weight limits. I knew you know where we had to be, and it was it was tough. And back then, you know, we're just kids trying to make weight to do what we got to do. And you know the the weight cutting, the way it's done. There's a there's a there's a correct way to cut weight, and there's you know there's there's ways to do it. That don't wreck havoc on your body, but there's also ways that that people try to do it because either they fucked up something in camp, or they were injured, or they weren't cutting weight that they were the way that they were supposed to, and that has led to obviously you know people just having to shift around in divisions. In addition to that, the UFC and and the athletic commission no longer allow uh, rehydration through IV. Originally, you know, you, uh, guys get a couple of IV bags. You rehydrate. You're good to go. You know, in minutes, they're not doing that anymore because again, you know, you're rehydrating and, and and it's it's not healthy. Now, I do have to say this: if you're cutting water weight, there's there's a lot of factors at play. There's a lot of things you can do to cut weight. Um, you know, uh, next time next time we're discussing this, I'm going to uh, I'm going to definitely. Uh, re- re- uh, enlist the services of Jimbo slice for this, because I think that he could, he could elaborate on, on the weight cutting just from a, from another perspective that I'm sure, I'm sure he could share for me personally, I just want to say that if you're a fighter or you're contemplating fighting there, there's a lot that goes into it. And a lot of these guys walk in injured, you know, they're hiding injuries. They're trying to, they're powering through some crazy shit and um you know they just they just want to try and get the upper hand and I understand that but there also has to be safety safety measures in place to ensure that what you're trying to do is not going to fucking kill you and that's the problem that's what people aren't seeing people automatically assume oh you know we're going to go we're going to have we're going to have this guy fight we're going to have this girl fight they're going to make weight and it's not a problem the problem is that Weight cutting is a lot more difficult than people make it out to be. I mean, Joe Rogan said it. He said it before. He goes, there's a certain science to weight cutting that people don't talk about. And a lot of guys just don't do it correctly. And, you know, I I, I wouldn't even be shocked. You know, I wouldn't even be shocked that there are better and healthier ways to cut weight. But that there are a lot of guys that are also untrained that don't know how to do it. And, you know, it's... It's disheartening. It's disheartening because, again, you're you're looking at guys that are cutting their careers short because nobody's sitting them down and telling them, listen, you may want to have to consider fighting at X weight class. I mean, I'll give you guys an example. Conor McGregor. When Conor McGregor fights at 145, he walks in there and he, he looks like a skeleton. We've seen it. Then you look at Conor McGregor at 170 and the dude looks legit. Like you know, the few times that he's fought already at 170, you see that it's just a comfier. Uh, 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 and he said it, he's like a, it's a it's a it's a comfier cut. It's a it's a more it's a more comfortable way to make weight because you know maybe he's got to up his calories a little bit to gain a couple of pounds. But you know I'm curious to to, to what a guy like that you know what Conor McGregor walks around at because again you know GSP they used to say GSP to make 170 walked around usually around 200 pounds. And he would cut down to 170. And GSP is another guy that was a big 170 pound fighter. But in GSP's case, you know, he had a team of of nutrition. You know, he had coaches, uh, people monitoring his nutrition. Like they, like making weight and fighting is a business all its own. This is why you look at a guy like Mike Dolce, who many of you know from the Dolce diet, who's helped a lot of fighters make weight. And, you know, he talks about it completely. Every little thing has to be watched from the amount of water, the amount of salt, the foods you eat, you know, the supplements you take, etc. Et Excuse me. Et cetera, et cetera. Val says that Conor McGregor says he walks around normally at one sixty five. Okay, let's let's think about that. One sixty five, and now he has to make one forty five. So he's got to cut twenty pounds versus Fighting at 170, he's just got to gain five pounds and he's ready to go. In this case, now he's going to fight at 155, so the cut is only a 10-pound cut to meet Eddie Alvarez. Once he rehydrates, he's probably going to be 165-170. So it's, again, an easier cut. And this happened with a lot of fighters. I mean, Rashad Evans, when he came into the UFC, he competed as a heavyweight on The Ultimate Fighter and then he started fighting at light heavyweight and he's been a light heavyweight since. I mean, now with him fighting at Madison Square Garden, he's going to be fighting at 165 at 165, 185, which, you know, I was pretty surprised because, you know, usually as you get older, it's it's a lot harder to make those crazy weight cuts, but Rashad Evans is making the cut to 185. I'm curious to see what he looks like at 185, how much power he still has and if there's still, you know, if, if his power suffers being at that weight limit, I'm curious in any case, you know, I've beaten up the, uh, the cutting issue a little bit longer than I would have liked, but I, you know, I want to definitely drive a couple of points home now in terms of fight bonuses for UFC fight night, um, Vicente Luque and Eric Spicely took home $50,000 bonuses. Eric Silva and Luan Chagas got fight of the night, uh, $50,000 for those guys as well. So, definitely mayhem uh, in terms of the way that card went down especially when it came down to like I said cyborgs performance and you know the controversy surrounding big uh, big big country Roy Nelson we'll see what happens with him and of course once I hear more on that situation I will definitely share it with you guys now let's talk about the big one let's talk about UFC 205 which tickets go on sale at I believe 10 a.m. today now that it is the 29th for UFC insiders, and it goes. The tickets go on sale to the general public on September 30th. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, MMA was not sanctioned in New York State for quite some time. It's finally happened, and the UFC, of course, is going to do their first show at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. Now, over the last few weeks, you guys have heard me talk about the card coming together, and as they announced the fights. I just said to myself, eh, you know, they look good, but I was already bothered by the fact that there weren't a lot of New York fighters on there, considering it's in New York. I mean, Rashad Evans is from upstate, and um, right before the press conference on Tuesday, a lot of announcements came out. When we came out of the uh, when we came out of the gym, myself and Jimbo Slice, the news broke that Eddie Alvarez and Conor McGregor were going to be main eventing, with Eddie Alvarez putting up his lightweight title. Um, th- that fight would join two other title fights on the card, which was Tyron Woodley, Steven Wonderboy Thompson, and Joanna Judezik. I'm probably just bludgeoning her name, and Carolina Kowaskowitz, which I probably killed her name too. In any case, you got three title fights, and by the time it was press conference time, it was announced that Yoel Romero was going to be facing Chris Weidman, which, you know, Chris Weidman's a New Yorker uh, through and through, and to fight in Madison Square Garden, definitely going to be good for the hometown boy. Um, Rashad Evans, Tim Kennedy. Tiago Alves was originally supposed to square off against Al Iaquinta, who was uh, from the same team that Chris Weidman is from, but contract negotiations put a kibosh on that. So Tiago Alves is facing Jim Miller, which I think is going to be a great fight. Donna Cerrone, who was originally scheduled to face Robbie Lawler, is now facing Kelvin Gastelum. Also, Frankie Edgar is taking on Jeremy Littleheathen-Stevens, Tim Bosch, Rafael Sapo-Natal, Lyman Goods on the card. And during the press conference, um, Dana White announced that Michael Johnson would be facing Khabib Nurmagomedov, which is huge. Now, the thing about this entire card that was crazy, obviously, you know, pre-fight press conference, you know, the Conor McGregor show comes to Madison Square Garden. Everything just goes ape shit. Ape shit. You know, uh, Tyron Woodley's getting booed out of the building. Um, you know, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's being cheered. Weidman got a huge ovation. So did Frankie Edgar. And, um, you know, Eddie Alvarez doing what he's got to do, trying to hold it down. But the Conor McGregor show in full effect, I mean... You know, we're talking about him him clowning Eddie Alvarez left and right, him saying that, you know, he saved the card, you know, that he runs New York, you know, all the typical Conor McGregor stuff. But the thing that jumped out, aside from all that craziness, were two things. Number one, the pre-fight press conferences, as well as most UFC press conferences, are open to the general public, and the questions are dictated by the media. So, obviously... As someone who's been following the sport for quite some time, you know a couple of the guys that are there. You know Ariel Helwani. Um, you know, you know Mark LaMonica from New York Newsday. A couple of guys. So, guy grabs the microphone, starts obliterating Eddie Alvarez. Turns out he wasn't a reporter, was a fan, which I'm sure is you know pissed off Dana White and is always and it's gonna hurt. The the media outlets that are trying to cover the event, because now they're going to be a lot more strict and they're going to vet you even more aggressively than they did before because of what's going on and because of what happened on Tuesday. Aside from that, obviously, as I said, Conor McGregor being Conor McGregor to the point where Jeremy Stevens was trying to get in on the action, trying to set up some some sort of a fight down the road and Conor McGregor pretty much just publicly was like, who are you again? I was just like, oh, my God, just 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 pretty much buried Jeremy Stevens on, you know, on it, it, you know, in front of the public, the general public here in New York City. It was it was insane. And then obviously, you know, you got Donald Cerrone, who definitely would love to fight Conor McGregor. And I'm sure those guys, there would be a huge payday there. And, you know, that beef continues to simmer between those guys with uh, Cerrone just telling him again, like, yo, man, I'll fuck you up. Like, don't test me. And, um, you know, it was it was crazy. It was a crazy, crazy night, McGregor being, you know, his usual self. Eddie Alvarez definitely holding his own, clowning McGregor's glasses, talking about that McGregor's the weakest guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, as I said, all well and good, but there's a couple of things that resulted in as of this fight being announced, you know, as a result of this fight being announced. First off, Jose Aldo went on record, says he wants to be released from his contract and that the UFC essentially are full of shit. As many of you know, Jose Aldo hasn't exactly been um, loved by the UFC as of late for a litany of reasons, but Jose Aldo has legitimate gripes. I know people don't want to hear that, but they have legitimate gripes. But, there is a flip side, which I'll get into in a minute. First of all, Jose Aldo fought Frankie Edgar for the interim title because Conor McGregor was too busy trying to fight Nate Diaz. Okay, no problem. Dana, Dana White then goes on record and says that the winner of the fight between Aldo and Frankie Edgar will fight McGregor to unify the belts, and that was it. He said Conor McGregor is not going to get another fight if he does not defend his featherweight title or relinquish it okay so during the press conference obviously eddie alvarez and mcgregor were there and someone asked conor mcgregor like listen you're supposed to vacate your belt you know one of those belts when you win and he and conor mcgregor was like yo i'm not giving up shit you're gonna have to take these belts from my cold dead hands if i win and that created a very 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 uncomfortable situation for the ufc And I'll tell you why. Dana White goes on record saying all this shit. Conor's going to do this. Conor's going to do that. Conor's going to do this. Conor's going to do that. And Conor McGregor turns around and pretty much makes Dana White look like a bitch. And I'll tell you guys why. Because the new ownership of the UFC understands the bottom line. And they know that Conor McGregor moves the needle, puts asses in seats, People tune in an entire country is represented in every fucking fight he has, because that press conference was full of Irish people, Polish people for for JJ and Karolina Kowalskiewicz and everyone else. It, It you know, and whether you love the guy, you hate the guy, you can't stand the guy. You have to recognize that the company and the fighters that fight him make money with the guy. And that, my friends, is the big elephant in the room. Here you have a guy who's essentially made himself bigger than the UFC and is pretty much dictating who he's going to fight, when he's going to fight, and what he wants to do. Even though at the end of the day he is an employee of the organization, he is calling the shots. And this is because Dana White gave way too much lead to Conor McGregor. You know, we're going to put you up in this suite. You're going to hang out with us. You're going to gamble with us. You're going to do all this. We're going to get you cars. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Before you knew it, the guy believed his own hype, backs it up, and is essentially unstoppable. He's unstoppable right now. Because think about it. If Conor McGregor beats Eddie Alvarez, and this is going into the history books, he will be the first active UFC fighter in history to be a champion in two divisions at the same time history you know we're on the verge of seeing history made november 12th and dana white can't can't stop it he cannot stop it you're you're saying the day before that he's going to have to vacate one of the belts and this motherfucker saying at the press conference that you're not taking shit it's a big problem a very very big problem for the sport and again i like conor mcgregor i like what he brings to the table but the ufc Is shooting themselves in the foot every time they try to control this guy. Every time. They just look like complete jerk offs. And in Jose Aldo's case, he is 100% entitled to, you know, put his belt on the line and compete. I mean, originally, Khabib was supposed to fight Eddie Alvarez. That's what the rumors said. And Jose Aldo was supposed to fight McGregor. And then, you know, they realized, all right, who are we going to make more money with? And that's what dictates who fights who we could look at all the rankings we could look at all the win loss records we can look at it all but at the end of the day it's who's going to fucking make record-breaking numbers and as much as I love Jose Aldo and I think he is one of the pound-for-pound best fighters on the planet the fact is that Jose Aldo only sells tickets and only clears out tickets when he's either fighting McGregor or fighting in Brazil And don't get me wrong, New York City is a melting pot full of thousands of different nationalities, races, religions. There's there's a little something for everyone. But I feel that when it comes to New York, there's heavier concentrations of immigrants and, you know, African-Americans and Latinos. That's it. And when I mean immigrants, I mean immigrants as in numerous, you know, Irish, English, Polish, Russian, etc., And Latino. Like I segre, I, I'm segmenting it like that because at the end of the day, if you, Conor McGregor fighting in Madison square garden, you're going to have a, a huge Irish contingent. It's going to bring a whole bunch of money into the city. That's that's it. You know? And the funny thing is, you know, Val is saying MMA is encroaching much like the way, um, boxing is boxing is about money fights. MMA is now becoming about money fights, not just who's better than who. And to a point, he is right. And yes, there are instances where people say, you know, this guy should fight this guy next. And we talk about it. We play MMA matchmaker here on, on MTR more times than I can count. But at the end of the day, this is a business. This is where we're in the business of making money. And guys in the UFC that are trying to make the big paydays want to punch Conor McGregor in the face because they know that that's going to put a bunch of zeros behind their behind their name. Doesn't matter who it is. Nate Diaz was popular before he fought Conor McGregor and after he fought Conor McGregor, he, it was another it was a different level of popularity. People love the Diaz brothers that were fans of the sport. Now everybody's walking around talking about 209 and i'm not surprised motherfuckers you know everybody's jumping on board because of the mainstream exposure that nate had fighting connor you ask an mma fan 5 years ago and i mean a casual mma fan if they knew about nate diaz and they'd probably have him confused with nick diaz these are these are the facts man people people don't understand that there's a big market for the casual fan because don't get me wrong, the diehard fans, the guys that know this sport, that know it inside and out, and I'm, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan, maybe even a diehard to an extent, but there are people that know infinitely more than me, that watch more than me, that they break it down to a fucking science. I know what I know, and again, I make no, no, you know, I make no illusions of being, uh, a, you know, a master or a guy that's fucking, you know, that knows everything about the sport, but I know for a fact that five years ago... Even seven years ago, uh, before he even got onto the Ultimate Fighter, nobody knew who Nate Diaz was. And to be honest, when Nate Diaz got on the Ultimate Fighter, the first thing that they said was, he is Nick Diaz's little brother. And there was an expectation. They knew that, hey, he's Nick Diaz's brother. He's going to talk a lot of shit, smoke some weed, give some middle fingers, and choke motherfuckers out. And slap them in the face with the Stockton slap. And that's exactly what they got. The problem was that it wasn't something that the UFC could market because it's tough to market a guy who hates to do press, and when he does, he's giving middle fingers and telling people to you know to go fuck off and smokes weed. That's the thing. The UFC wants robots. They want pretty robots that they can gift wrap and put in front of the press. They say the right things, and they go about their business. And the problem with that is that too many of these fighters Recognize that they're bigger, better, and, and the UFC depends on them to make money. I'll give you an example: John Jones. Oh we love John Jones, John Jones is the best, blah 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 blah. This was when John Jones was on the come-up. as soon as John Jones said, "I'm not taking this fight because of X," or "I'm not doing this because of X," all of a sudden now John Jones isn't a team player, he's difficult, etc, etc, etc. Or here's a good example. Ronda, everybody, Ronda this, Ronda that, fantastic. Ronda goes, gets herself knocked out. All of a sudden, Ronda, not as cool anymore. To the, again, to the casual fan. To the MMA fans, she just had a bad day. Here's another good example. We were having a conversation, myself and and Jimbo Slice, earlier this morning. We were talking about Misha Tate. You look at Misha Tate, she's an accomplished fighter. She's a great wrestler, but... She doesn't. She doesn't move the needle. Beautiful girl. She goes out there. She's pretty. She generates good sound bites. You know. She looks the part. She fights hard, but can't market her at all. The only way you market her is, you know, hey, look how pretty she is, which is exactly what they do with Paige Van Zant. Paige Van Zant is a is a, is a solid fighter, but. We're going to, you know, hey, she's doing Dancing with the Stars. Hey, she's on the cover of this magazine. Hey, she's, you know, doing Sports Illustrated. Hey, she's in the bodies issue. Whatever the case may be, that is the selling point because that's the easy target. It's a lot harder to promote a guy who's an accomplished mixed martial artist, has a clean fight record, and is just a regular guy. Those guys don't get promoted. They don't. I'll give you guys a good example, and I, and I said this a few years ago. Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman defeated, without a doubt, one of the legends in our sport in Anderson Silva. Not once, but twice. And even though, obviously, his victories were circumstantial in nature, the fact of the matter is that you would, you should have been promoting the shit out of Weidman because here you got this clean-cut guy, blue-collar guy from New York City, and they did nothing. How many times did you see Chris Weidman on, on television... After he beat Anderson Silva. And when I mean on television, I mean real television. I mean the late night talk show circuit. This, that, SNL. You didn't see it. You want to know why? Because the UFC didn't give a fuck. Because they had no marketing tactic for him. That's it. Like, that's that's the way it is, folks. That is the way it is. Ch- Chael Sonnen is another great example. Chael knew that he had to talk the talk. To get himself in there. He fought Anderson Silva. Everybody tuned in. Him and him. You know. Anderson and Chael made a fuckload of money. Then John Jones. You know. Chael talked himself into a fight with John Jones. And. He got it. You know. He coached the ultimate fighter. He got. He fought John Jones. And don't get me wrong. He lost. But it just. It just shows you. And. And. Reinforced. What I said before. When you move the needle. When people tune in. You're gonna get fucking paid. Period. Period. Everybody talks about, oh, CM Punk, he got paid $500,000. He shouldn't have been in there. You're right. He shouldn't have been in there. He shouldn't have. But at the end of the day, it was a gamble. It was an experiment. It failed. No skin off the UFC's back because at the end of the day, if the pay-per-view he fought on got a high buy rate, they're ahead. It's a $500,000 investment. That was okay. Does that mean that we'll never see CM Punk again? Who knows? Who knows? But at the end of the day, they got paid. They got your $65 for the pay per view. And they're laughing all the way to the fucking bank. Simple as that. Anyway, moving on, because there's a couple of other things I wanted to talk about. You know, earlier in the segment, we were talking about Cyborg and the weight cut. You know, Joe Rogan went on Twitter and he was saying that the UFC should open up a women's featherweight division at 145 pounds because he thinks that, you know, Cyborg tortures herself to cut weight. And he feels that she would be a good champion for that division and that that division can grow with the right champion and, and you know, a handful of stars, you know, a handful of female fighters to grow that division. Now, I got to agree with Joe Rogan, because think about it. You have she, you know, Cyborg is a champion in Invicta at 140. You know, you do a 145 pound women's featherweight division. Now we got some we got some bargaining. We got some chips here. You know, you do a season of the ultimate fighter to find a couple of women that are going to fight at 145. Maybe you look at a couple of women in your current weight division at 135 that are willing to make the fight, you know, make the jump to 145. Because, again, cutting weight is difficult. Now you got yourself an extra division. That's all I'm saying. It's the same thing with the women that are currently fighting at 115. Maybe down the road they're going to want to fight at 135 and, and look for new opportunities. At the end of the day... It's about what makes the most sense. And if you're going to hedge your bets, as usual, on, a, on an athlete, then you might as well build a division around that athlete. Simple as that. Anyway, so a couple of things I did want to get into. Um, BJ Penn and Ricardo Lamas' fight is going down, UFC Fight Night 97, uh, and that's going to be happening in Manila. Unfortunately, that fight card will not be airing on Broadcast TV, you will need to watch that on Fight Pass. So if you are a fan of BJ Penn and we're looking forward to see him fight, make his return to the Octagon to fight in Manila, you're gonna need to watch that on UFC Fight Pass. On the Bellator side of things, a couple of weeks ago I said that um, you know, Kimbo Slice Kimbo Slice's son his was gonna make his K, his MMA debut at the last Bellator event. Unfortunately, he sustained an injury and was unable to do so. But now it's been announced that he will be making his MMA debut at Bellator 162, which is on October 21st. Pretty solid card on paper. Ryan Couture's on that card. Uh, Alexander Shlomenko's on that card, taking on Kendall Grove. And like I said, uh, the MMA debut of Kevin Ferguson. Also, MTR friend of the show, Gilbert Smith, will be fighting on that card. We're going to see if maybe... Uh, We could get Gilbert to call in uh, prior to his return to the Bellator cage um, on October 21st. We'll see what happens. Keep it locked to MTR and Rageworks for news regarding that. It wouldn't be a week in MMA without anti-doping violations. In this case, Ruslan Magomedov uh, was notified of a potential anti-doping violation by the USADA. Um, It was for an out-of-competition sample that was collected September 7th. Uh, Magomedov was originally scheduled to take on Stefan Struve at UFC 204, but had to withdraw from the fight due to infection. So, um, definitely a very interesting turn of events. Once we get additional details regarding, uh, Magomedov's potential, uh, anti-doping violation, of course, we will share it with you guys. I did want to, before we wrap things up, I did want to talk about something very interesting, That uh, came across my desk earlier today. And you know. With the rumored acquisition. Of Impact Wrestling. Whether it be by. um, You know Billy Corrigan's group. Or WWE or Sinclair Broadcasting. It's interesting because. What then happens to a guy like Bobby Lashley. I say this because Bobby Lashley. Is not only. A TNA superstar. But he is also. A Bellator competitor. Now. Now. In the case of an acquisition, makes you wonder, will a promotion leverage Bobby Lashley's MMA success and let him continue to do that, or will it be a situation where he's going to be forced to choose? Now, with that said, you got to ask yourself, where would you rather see Bobby Lashley? In MMA or professional wrestling? And for me personally, I'd like to see Bobby Lashley make a full-time run at Mixed Martial Arts. I'll tell you why. Guy's an accomplished Armed Forces wrestler. Um, is, he's, a, he's a huge human being. Uh, needs a good camp and some good seasoning, but he continues to improve in every one of his outings. And because of that, I feel that whether it's for Bellator or the UFC, I think that Lashley has the potential to be a very big star. Because unlike Brock and some of these other guys that have been coming in and making a run at it, Lashley's one of the few guys that has the pedigree, has kept himself relatively injury-free, and has been transitioning to MMA at a gradual pace. They're not rushing it. They're not throwing him out there in some crazy fights. Piece by piece, bit by bit, Lashley continues to improve his MMA resume. So with that said, I really would, wouldn't be you know, I wouldn't be heartbroken if when it was, when the dust settled with regards to TNA, Lashley ended up uh, someplace else. Simple as that. Now there is a rumor and I'm only citing this because it is exactly that a rumor that uh, possibly, and this is fucking insane. Ryback may be contemplating a run in mixed martial arts. Now, we know that Ryback recently was released by WWE, legally changed his name to Ryback, and um, is running Feed Me More Nutrition. He's doing appearances. He's uh, allegedly going to be doing like public speaking, etc., etc. I like Ryback. He's a cool dude. But um, I don't know about MMA at this point. Again, you know, these guys are coming out of, of WWE or wherever, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a run for mixed martial arts, and companies are going to you know, fawn over me because I was a pro wrestler and I was successful and I'm going to make money. Not necessarily the case. There's a difference between marketable and, you know, freak shows and scraps. Let me explain. Japan is notorious for grabbing wrestlers and letting them compete in mixed martial arts. And that's always because there's always a, 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 a possibility that even the, the outcome of the mixed martial arts fight is scripted. I say this because many people have said that with a lot of the fights involving Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp is a massive human being that should essentially kill you when he gets you in the cage. And sometimes he, he looks really good. And other times, you know, a guy fucking breathes on him and he falls over. Whether it's whether it's doctored or not, people, you know, J- Japan loves Bob Sapp. So he's a guy that's marketable. OK, now let's sw- let's 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 go to the flip side. You got CM Punk, ultra, ultra successful, amazing, amazing fan base when, when, you know, when people feel like it and you bring him in, you toss all this money at him to essentially train for a year and a half, two years, goes in there, gets obliterated. That's it. Now you got Ryback who has had a, you know, his fair share of injuries, not super successful as a pro wrestler and wants to make a run at MMA. Okay, what do you bring into the table? Are people gonna tune in to watch you fight? Maybe. Are the is it gonna be the same number of people? it's like a choose your own adventure. Hey, I wanna fight for for your organization. Okay, hey, how popular were you in pro wrestling? If you were a super popular, proceed here. If you were so so, proceed here. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 crazy. Like, again, I respect Ryback, I you know, I I I respect the fact that he's trying to to stake his own claim and become his own superstar and his own household name, and it's great. Fucking fantastic. But, dude, you're talking about going into MMA like going to get fucking spray tan on Tuesday. Like, yeah, I'm just going to go and fight in mixed martial arts. Nope, that's not how it works. It's not how it fucking works. You know, it's it's like that, that commercial with the old ladies. It's not how it works. It's not how any of this works. It's exactly what it is. Oh, I'm just going to go and fight in the cage. No, no the fuck you're not. You're probably going to get destroyed by a dude who probably carries 20 pounds less muscle than you, but knows how to strangle you with your own arm. That's it. That's what's going to fucking happen. You're going to go in there and try to be the big guy and the big guy is going to get a fucking big ass whooping and that's going to be it. And again, he has a fighter's chance. He has a puncher's chance like anyone, but Come on man, you guys got to stop doing this it's hurting the sport it, and, and, and and it hurts your credibility. Don't think that because you know it worked for Brock Lesnar it's gonna work for you yes, Brock Lesnar woke up one day from you know got out of bed next to Sable and said, you know what I'm gonna try and play in the NFL and people are like Brock, you're crazy but that motherfucker can do that because he's ginormous and he's a super athlete. hey I I'm going to try and fight mixed martial arts. Okay, Brock, good luck. Next thing you know, he went from fighting, you know, on on, you know, Access TV to fucking defeating Randy Couture. Like this. I mean, there's no better example of Brock Lesnar's star-making potential than his fight with Heath Herring, where he pretty much went out there and it was a complete showcase of Brock Lesnar's abilities. Don't get me wrong. When he lost to Frank Mir the first time, everybody's like, oh, man, fucking Brock. It's like anybody can get caught. He then proceeded to go back and beat the holy fuck out of Frank Mir. And we know how that went. This is what I'm saying. You got to be a collegiate wrestler. Uh, You know, you got to have some sort of a a martial arts background, something, whether it's it's amateur wrestling or martial arts. You got to bring something to the table, not just I go and take fucking, you know, Taekwondo classes at the fucking rec center. Uh, But I'm going to be a mixed martial artist. It's not how it works. Fuck out of here. And I like Ryback, likable guy, nice enough guy. But, oh, I'm going to go and try MMA. Okay, what formal training do you have? I'm the big guy. The big guy needs no formal training. Get the fuck out of here. You want to do shit like that, Ryback, go to Japan. They will gladly accommodate you. They will gladly accommodate your ass. Go to Japan, fight on some fucking crazy card where they do MMA, pro wrestling, kickboxing, mud wrestling, and everything else. Go out there, have a couple of shoot fights, and be on your merry way. But don't fucking hurt Bellator And yourself by saying, yeah, I'm going to go. No, 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 you don't see every guy that washes out of MMA saying they're going to become a pro wrestler. Yeah, a handful of them do like Matt Riddle, but Matt Riddle fucking has incredible charisma and is a hell of an athlete. And you know where he is? Not on TNA, not in WWE wrestling for evolve, fine tuning his craft, getting better, getting quicker getting smarter when it comes to the, to the, to the, you know, theatricality of professional wrestling. Simple as that. Anyway, that little diatribe is going to be the icing on the cake for this week's MMA segment. Let us switch gears and jump into some pro wrestling, shall we? Before I go into this week's events on the pro wrestling side, I got a uh, communique. Jimbo Slice says, but Ryback going to do MMA is no different than CM Punk. I don't, I don't disagree with that. But what I'm saying is CM Punk said, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to do MMA and the UFC wrote him a check. Ryback is like, oh, I'm going to go do MMA and Bellator is going to write him a check. Is it the right thing for to do for either guy? No. Should CM Punk have gone maybe and done the ultimate fighter or fought in some smaller promotions with the UFC footing the bill on the DL? Yes. Should Ryback do that? Yes. But these motherfuckers like, oh, we're just going to go and fight. I mean, don't get me wrong. CM Punk, he has a, he had a big name. He, the UFC was enamored with the name. Oh, we got this guy. He'll come in. He'll fucking move the needle. We'll make a fuck of money. And that's it. Who gives a fuck about Ryback? Like, if you had to put him and CM Punk on a scale, I'm sorry to say it, CM Punk weighs more than Ryback in terms of monetary value. Not to say that Ryback doesn't have the potential, doesn't have the drive, doesn't have the dedication, he's, you know, he's a dedicated, passionate dude, but, dude, amateur fights. Build up your resume. Do that. Get yourself noticed where a company approaches you and goes, hey, we want you to fight. That's what Bobby Lashley did. And look at him. Is he super popular? No. But is he consistently improving when he goes out there and fights? Yes. Are people willing to see him fight? Yes. Is he headlining any fucking cards? No. Again, I look at it from the perspective of business. CM Punk is going to get more people tuning in to the fucking fight that he's on than Ryback is. Is it right? Absolutely not. Is it, is it, you know, stra- is it strategy from a business perspective? Always, simple as that. But you're right, you know. And and this is this is uh, in re- response to what Jimbo Slice said. You know, I'm, he's right. CM Punk shouldn't have been in there, but he was because the UFC thought, hey, we're gonna make a fuckload of money. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I'm still waiting for the numbers on that. When I get them, we'll, we'll have a, a a deeper discussion. Anyway. Let's talk Clash of Champions, the Raw pay-per-view. All the titles were up for grabs, and it was all right. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. I mean, you had a pre-show match with Nia Jax and Alicia Fox, which we all knew was going to end with Alicia Fox being killed by Nia Jax. And guess what? It happened. Uh, The New Day and Gallows and Anderson's tag team match was, was an enjoyable match. Did it need to go the way it went? no did it do anything to to strengthen their rivalry not really and the reason i say this is because they've damaged anderson and gallo so much that nobody can conceivably see them beating the new day at least at this point because the new day are on a different level of over it's crazy it's crazy how over the new day is it's it's insane meanwhile we had um the cruiserweight championship was up for grabs with TJ Perkins taking on Brian Kendrick. And I liked the match. I thought the match was good, but the pacing of that match was fucking molasses level slow. We went from seeing the hyper fast, super insane wrestling that we saw in the cruiserweight classic to punch, kick, punch, kick the occasional spot. And the problem with this is that yes, even though TJ Perkins is a bit of a technician he is a fairly, you know, he is an, an accomplished high flyer, as is Brian Kendrick. And I felt that that match didn't showcase either guy correctly. And this was something that I talked about weeks ago when, when they were talking about the Cruiserweights coming to Raw. You got you to gotta let these guys go out there and do what they do. If they're going to fucking go out and fucking do punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick, spot, spot, punch, kick, nobody's going to give a shit. They're really not. They're not. They're not going to do it, and that's what bothers me. T, you know, TJ Perkins, a hell of a wrestler. If you guys haven't seen his matches on the Cruiserweight Classic, check them shits out because they were tremendous. And Brian Kendrick is another guy. I mean, he. You know, he had a match during the Cruiserweight Classic. He fucking did a burning hammer, like it was to the point where Daniel Bryan and Mar Ronaldo marked out just like the rest of us. I was like, holy shit, a burning hammer. That guy's dead you know shit like that and we did we it was super safe super slow and the crowd just wasn't into it and you know a lot of people are like yeah but you know it's because the crowd hasn't seen these guys it is fucking 2016 between snapchat instagram facebook twitter all this bullshit you know who's on your fucking screen and if you don't you will find out in the blink of an eye that's no excuse we had the, uh, the best of seven finals with Sheamus and Cesaro, which ended in a no contest. I was actually shocked because I thought they were going to put Cesaro over, but I'll get into that more during uh, my breakdown of Raw. The women's title match was really good, probably not as good as some of their previous matches, but, you know, solid. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, Sasha should have gone over. And I agree, Sasha or Bayley could have gone over. But I understand, in terms of the long game, why you want to keep Charlotte as champion. Because right now, it's a lot more entertaining watching Bailey and Sasha Banks chase for the title. And the fact is that you can set up a bunch of matches between them. Is it right? Is it wrong? It's up for debate. But I understand from the long game why you want to keep someone like Charlotte as your champion. Uh, the U.S. title match, I called it. Rusev was going to get the was dropping the title to Roman, which he did. Uh, surprisingly entertaining and very very violent match between the two of them. I felt that um, we we really saw a lot of good intensity from both guys in that match. Even even with the belt, people still hate Roman Reigns, but it's not as much as it was, you know, six months ago. It's definitely still there. And you know, Jim Ross said on Twitter. You know, Roman Reigns is getting into the John Cena territory where it's trendy to boo him. And I agree. I agree to a point. But I also think that it's just because nobody nobody's really invested in Roman Reigns as as a fan. I mean, you know, kids like him again. It's the John Cena effect to a lesser degree. Kids like him. Girls like him. Everybody else can fucking, you know, they hope an anvil falls on his head on his way to the ring. It is what it is. Uh, the Universal title match ended with a shitload of shenanigans. Um, Kevin Owens retained. And I honestly thought we were going to get a Triple H run-in. I was glad they didn't do it. We did get the ref bump. And, of course, the uh, the question was raised of whether Stephanie was or wasn't involved in Kevin Owens retaining. And I'll be honest. I think that that was good in terms of storytelling. But the the card, the, the quote-unquote pay-per-view it was it was all right. Like it was it great? No, was it the worst thing I've ever seen? Definitely not. Uh, TNA has way too many shows that fall in that category. But it was it was it was good. It could have definitely been better, and there was definitely room for improvement. But out of all the matches, you know, the cruiserweight match I felt could have been better, but it was solid. Um, Best of seven match was crazy. Uh, Jericho and Zayn was. As good as you would think, I was shocked that Jericho went over. I thought they were going to actually put Sami Zayn over in this situation, but they didn't. And um, I thought that the uh, the women's match was solid, and the uh, Universal Title match was pretty good. Meanwhile, you know, jumping into what went down on Raw, um, there there was good stuff there. I didn't like that we opened up with uh, Rusev and Roman Reigns because it's like you know we just saw this match twenty four hours ago. Unless something crazy was going to happen. Nobody and the crowd was dead. I mean, you know, it went to a double count out and nobody gave a shit. Same thing with Anderson and Gallows taking on the New Day again. Eh, take it or leave it. Meanwhile, um, Bailey had a squash match, which was fucking completely random. But we did get to see some cruiserweight action. Cedric Alexander, Rich Swan taking on Lin Dorado and Drew Gulak, uh, pre- prior MTR guest. Uh, great match, amazing show of athleticism and technique from these guys. And what we saw from the, from the tag match is what we should have seen on Sunday from TJ and Brian Kendrick. Unfortunately, that was not the case. But the tag match itself was tremendous. I did not like the fucking crowd that they were just chanting Macho Man, CM Punk, just nonsense. And, you know, people were like, yeah, but, you know, it's probably because the crowd didn't know who they were. Are, are you kidding me? Again, the fucking network, nine ninety nine YouTube, free. You know who half of these guys are. And the problem is that crowd reactions like that, yeah, they don't affect Triple H or Stephanie McMahon because they know the deal. But guys like Vince, who may or may not be fans, are going to be like, look at these little fuckers. They don't even give a shit about them. And before you know it, cruiserweights are fucking curtain jerking or, or you know, being on the pre-show. Because they didn't they didn't get the right crowd. And that's a problem. That's all I'm saying. Sheamus and Cesaro were kind of put into the awkward tag team situation as a result of their no contest from the night before. I don't know if I'm 100% on board with it, but I think that it's probably going to lead to them eventually just finding common ground and perhaps be making a run at the tag team titles. Not terrible. I think that Mick Foley nearly coming to fucking tears was not something I was a fan of. And, you know, just Mick Foley being made to look like a bitch the entire night, I wasn't totally on board with. But I got to say that, um, and I spoke about this with Jimbo Slice, you know, Stephanie McMahon definitely fucking dialing on all, you know, running on all cylinders when it comes to being a heel. I was definitely impressed, that's for sure. Um, TJ Perkins was once again showcased a non-title match taking on Tony Niece, the elite athlete. Uh, You know, a local here, uh, a guy that's uh, pretty much a a mainstay on the New York indie circuit. Uh, Great showcase for both guys. Once again, uh, TJ Perkins continues to show why WWE put the belt on him. I think he's incredibly marketable, looks the part, wrestles his ass off, has an awesome Mega Man video game inspired entrance, which I think is fucking dope. And um, I thought I thought once again, it was a great match. Him and Nice. And the Cruiserweight tag match from earlier is what we needed to see on Sunday. It ended up with uh, the highlight reel segment with Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, which, of course, leads to the inevitable interruption. It was just a matter of who was going to do it. Obviously, it wasn't Seth Rollins who was injured after fucking taking that crazy um, you gut buster off the top rope on Sunday. Uh, It ended up being Enzo and Big Kaz, which was... um, it was fun, you know, it was it was great. I mean, it just continues to reinforce why Jericho and Kevin Owens are so good together in terms of mic work, and Enzo and Kaz were Enzo and Kaz. I mean, I don't dislike them, but like I said uh, a couple of weeks back, and even during last week's show, the shtick has become somewhat stale. I hate to say it, but it has. Anyway, jumping into the SmackDown side of things, I felt SmackDown had a, uh, a better show, I felt that, you know, Raw had to ride the momentum of the pay-per-view. They had to fight the debate. So it was, you know, it was... I I understood why Raw had to do what it could, and I understood why the rating was so low. Of course, people automatically are like, ah, the ratings are low. It's because nobody cares, blah, blah, blah. It's the fucking debate. Everybody and their mother was fucking watching the debate. Young, old, fat, skinny, you know. It, it just, everyone was watching it. If they weren't watching it, they were flipping back and forth between Raw and the debate, which which was essentially just like Raw. That's all I'm saying. But um, SmackDown, I felt, had a better show. Uh, the Usos and the Ascension took on American Alpha and Slater and Rhino. I really, really am, am digging what they did with the Usos. They changed the music. Their moveset is completely different. They don't do the SIBA Tau anymore. Uh, definitely more street, more hood which, you know, I've always said is something that the Usos are, much like Roman Reigns is, and I feel that guys that are allowed to be themselves just are more successful. And while, don't get me wrong, the Usos being, acknowledging their Samoan roots and doing the Siba Tau and, you know, doing all that stuff and doing all the high-flying and shucking and jiving for the crowd, it was cool, you know? But the problem is that, you know, the Usos now as heels are they're just they're just running on all cylinders the move set is different everything they've done uh for the last couple of weeks has really really showcased that it was a smart move turning them heel and i look forward to seeing them in american alpha you know with the big payoff we know that slater and rhino are definitely dropping the titles to the usos it's going to happen if it doesn't it's it might be because they got something crazy planned for the future but I definitely feel that Slater and Rhino's title run maybe will come to an end at the no mercy pay-per-view. We'll see if that is true. The, um, the Divas tag match, Carmella and Natalia, you know, Nikki Bella, Naomi wash, rinse and repeat what we've seen before. I said last week, you know, the possibility of a Divas tournament, you know, a Divas, a women's tournament similar to the cruiserweight classic. I think it is very, very necessary because we're going to continue to see the same six individuals, you know, Becky Lynch is currently feuding uh, with Alexa Bliss, which obviously was, you know, a little a little fuel was added to that fire on SmackDown. And then obviously Carmella and Nikki Bella are feuding and Naomi, I guess, is feuding with Natalia. And this is what I'm saying, you got essentially six women on the roster and you got to flesh it out. You got to do something. You need some more talent and whether it's like i said, you know, doing the women's tournament or maybe just bringing up some other NXT ladies or signing some new talent, something's got to get done. I don't know, man, tell Sarah Del Rey to get to throw on some ring gear and fucking wrestle on Smackdown and maybe um uh Sarita as well from TNA. Maybe maybe you need to use uh those two and you got to bring them up because that Smackdown women's division is it's gonna, it's gonna get bad, man. People are gonna get tired of seeing the same fucking six matches every week or different combinations of the same six women involved. That's all I'm saying. AJ Styles took on Dean Ambrose in a WWE title match, which was surprisingly solid once again. Uh, AJ Styles reinforcing why he is definitely one of the, you know, one of the workhorses on SmackDown. Uh, Ambrose, not a slouch, held his own in that match. The, um, you know, the interactions with John Cena were well done. I knew it was going to end with Cena getting involved. At that point, it was, you know, it was it was fun, you know? I um you know, a lot of people were talking about the Orton Bray Wyatt segment. I thought it was good, but I felt that, you know, you can only do that maybe once or twice. You can't make that an every week thing cuz it's going to run its course. In terms of promo work, Bray Wyatt is on another level. I think he's bringing out uh, a little bit of that personality that Randy Orton fucking hides behind his one-dimensional fucking facade, but um, it was good. You know, we got to see some 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 you know some personality out of Orton, some stellar promo work from Bray Wyatt, and obviously the payoff is coming. But um, you know, it w- it was good. I just don't want to see that shit every week. That's all I'm saying. Now, with regards to the wrestling news of the week, as I said, a lot of shit going on that I want to get into. Um, first thing I want to talk about, obviously, is the TNA thing. Uh, the TNA thing is uh, people are saying it's gotten so bad. It has got so bad that TNA may not have enough money to put on their bound for glory pay-per-view. Don't know how true that is, but you know, PW Insider, Dave Meltzer, countless, countless websites have all reported that TNA is doing fucking bad and, you know, Billy Corrigan's definitely trying to, to, to work his magic to get some capital, get some investors and buy TNA and, you know, rebrand it, make it his own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the clock is ticking and time is not on his side. Now, as a result of these, you know, alle- of this alleged, situ- this alleged situation, it looks like, you know, WWE's back in the hunt in terms of, you know, buying them out as, you know, Sinclair Broadcasting is also there but if i if i if it came down to who has deeper pockets it's w w e through and through, and with that said w w e would probably buy the tape library shut down t n a take a couple of their of their superstars and keep it moving in in that respect they would probably take you know a lot of their knockouts probably jade we know gail Kim's never going back, but probably jade uh maybe sienna um definitely Ali. maybe Maria Kanellis and Mike Bennett, because there's, you know, there's, there's definitely something to be, there's market that you can market them correctly, just like you're doing with the Miz and Maurice. Uh, you could have Mike Bennett and Maria Kanellis on SmackDown. I mean, on raw and, um, you know, maybe send Rusev and Lana to SmackDown. I just feel that they're, 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 uh, they're definitely bona fide, uh, you know, a solid fit and a great addition to a, to a solid roster. um, Like I said, a lot of the X-Division guys I think would would be really good. Uh, Definitely DJZ. DJZ is super over. Uh, Definitely would be good for the Cruiserweight division. Has worked with TJ Perkins and a lot of those guys, so I would make a great signing. Um, I got to say, as much as as I'm not a fan, Eli Drake has the tools to be a great signing. Uh, I feel Abyss would be good. Abyss is a great big man, moves well, can cut a good promo. And is still reasonably healthy, you could do something with him. Hell, I mean, you could even do something with Decay as a stable in in WWE. But again, it's it's one of those things where I see WWE taking a handful of contracts, and if you had to if you had to look at it, you're probably gonna take more of the marquee names, more of the recognizable names. And then of course, you know, guys like the Hardys, Lashley uh, Damian Sandow, who's who's you know no longer with WWE, the recently signed Cody Rhodes, which is weird because TNA has no money, but they signed Cody Rhodes again. Just it's craziness. Like I, you know, WWE definitely just wants that tape library more than anything because obviously it's going to be good for guys like Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, um, Bobby Roode, etc., cetera, et cetera, because you can you know you have that tape library to showcase their careers, do compilations, make money. You know the deal, but um, we'll see what happens. We're going to be monitoring this super close because it's 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 a massive story. I mean, who knows? And, I, and I'm completely kidding when I say this, but who knows? Maybe Sunday night during Bountiful Glory, Triple H will walk out, and it'll be it'll be like when Shane walked out for a WCW. I, you know, I'm I'm joking, but <laughs> maybe I'm not. You know, it's uh it, it's definitely something that we're going to be watching very very closely. Um, you know, I believe bound for glory is this Sunday and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, man. It's, it's going to be tough, especially if, if the rumors of them having no money are true. A couple of other things before we wrap things up. Um, interesting interview with Kurt angle, which was insane. Uh, he did an interview with, uh, Dan libertard and they were talking about his, um, substance abuse issues. And it was it was crazy, the stuff that Kurt Angle was saying. He said that he was taking 65 Vicodin a day at the height of his addiction. He said, and I quote, I was on a lot. There was no way I couldn't get out of it. The only thing I could do was eventually go to rehab and try to fix my life, but I actually beat it on my own. I stayed in my house for about 10 days and didn't leave, and I was able to get through the withdrawal. First of all, holy shit, 65 Vicodin. (laughs) Um, you know, he was asked about mixing alcohol with medication when he was in TNA and he said, the thing is everybody drank down there. So I started drinking with my meds and I started manipulating my meds. I would, I would save all of them until the evening and drink it with alcohol. And it got me in a lot of trouble Four DUIs in five years, which is insane. I remember that in addition to that, you know, they asked him about checking himself into the into rehab after the 2013 DUI, and he said, I finally got the right help. I tried to do it myself, but when you're that deep into the stuff, you can't do it on your own, and you need someone else's help. I reached, the, I reached out, and I did what I had to do to get it done. It was the worst seven days of my life. I went through detox again, but that time, it stuck. You can't do anything. You can't think. You're in constant pain. Your body's shaking. You don't want to eat. You don't want to do anything, and you feel like you're going to die, It's the worst pain you've ever had in your life. And I went through it twice. He was, of course, asked about temptations. And he said, I haven't had any triggers. I think it has to do with that. I don't ever want to have that feeling again. I was merciless to the drugs. I was doing stupid stuff. I was desperate. I was spending a lot of money for the medication. It took control of my life. I didn't have anything else to think about than how I was going to get that drug the next time I could get it. It was ruining my life. He said, the worst time of my whole life was those three years where I was really, really, really deep into it. A couple of things I took from this interview. First of all, Kurt Angle had huge fucking problems. And I understand, you know, WWE wanting him to get help. He refused. And obviously, he went to TNA and those demons became more prevalent. I think that this is a step in the right direction for a few reasons. Obviously, it's good for Kurt to, to put this out there and talk about it. But I also think that a lot of people were saying that for him to go back to WWE, he has to acknowledge that he that he needed help and that he got help and that he's clean. And I think this interview was a very very big part of that. Does that mean we'll see him in WWE anytime soon? Who knows. But I think that you know seeing him be so open about it and so public with it uh, makes a very very strong case for uh, the man with the three eyes: intensity, integrity, and intelligence. Will it pay off? Will we see him back in the WWE? Time will tell. But I will say this: um, Kurt Angle would be a welcome addition to WWE, especially on SmackDown. I think that you know, if you look on YouTube, you can see some of the amazing matches he's had with uh, with AJ Styles, and I think he would be a welcome addition to that brand. You could build around Kurt Angle, John Cena, AJ Styles, and make SmackDown a viable property. And if if it was you know if it was up to me if I was writing it and writing checks I would definitely bring back Kurt Angle and bring him to SmackDown that's for sure. The only other thing I did want to mention uh, before we wrap up was you know on the subject of Kurt Angle there was an interesting rumor about WWE wanting to put together a shooter stable, uh, kind of like the old Varsity Club. They were saying that you know they're looking at Shelton Benjamin maybe Jack Swagger Dolph Ziggler kind of like what they did with Team Angle. And you know, even with uh, Brock Lesnar and his stable for a while, um, I think the concept is pretty dope. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that. You know, put uh, Shelton Benjamin, Jordan Gable, Jack Swagger in a faction. I, th- I think it would be awesome. I think that it would, um, it would give those guys a shot in the arm. I think the popularity of American Alpha would be a huge help, and Shelton Benjamin being involved would also solidify that. I, you know. Going, as, going back to what I was saying about Kurt Angle, that would be a great way to bring him back in, maybe form a new team, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Shelton Benjamin's on the road to recovery. I believe that he is estimated to require roughly six months to get back in shape uh, and be ring ready. We're, we're going to be monitoring that very, very closely, but um, definitely looking forward to seeing Shelton Benjamin on my television. I think he is an incredible talent, and is going to be a welcome addition to the SmackDown brand. Of course, like I said, if anything changes with regards to his recovery and when he's coming, when he's going to be debuting, I will share that with you guys. All right, so that last bit of news wraps up this evening's wrestling segment, and it's going to wrap up the show. So with that, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Uh, feel free to reach out on social media. You can find us on Twitter. At My take radio or at rage underscore works. You can also find Rageworks on Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, and of course on Facebook as well. On Facebook, you can go to facebook.com forward slash official Rageworks, become a fan on the fan page if you haven't already. And if you want to mix it up, talk wrestling, gaming, MMA, uh, you know, any of the usual stuff we talk about on air, you can also join the Rageworks group on Facebook and interact with all of us there as well. Last but not least, you can always find us on some of the other social media platforms. Even though we're not as active, we do share content there, that being Google Plus, Pinterest, we definitely are there as well. As for tonight's show, you can find archived episodes of this show and any of our past shows, audio, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. Of course, You can get audio and video by heading over to RageWorks.net, and you will find all our previous shows there with both audio and video. Look for this episode to be uploaded within 24 to 48 hours of airing. And as always, if you would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or would like to advertise with us, you can email me, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at RageWorks.net, whichever you prefer, or If you're on the site, you can always use our contact us form as well. All right, guys, on behalf of myself and the rest of the team, thank you guys for joining us for this week. We'll be back later on today with the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR. I'm out of here, guys. Peace.